Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. And I mean it every week. I really do. But this week, I think it's especially true because we've got a little special guest. And I actually, I, in the warm-up segment, I'm just realizing this happened. In the warm-up segment with KTTH, I told them I wasn't going to tell them who it was. Uh, and that I wasn't going to do it till the market update. And then I dropped the guy's name in the last, in the last five seconds of the, of, of the intro on KTTH. So anyway, we're going to be joined today by Josh Young. Uh, Josh is just a little younger than me in his late 30s. Really bright guy. Came out of the University of Chicago. And he runs a energy-focused hedge fund. Um, and A, he launched it in 2015 and he's still around. That should tell you something. People, what do you mean, Zach? Guys, raising money or managing money, especially focused in the energy sector over the last five to seven years, uh, that alone, I, you don't even have to tell me what his returns are. The fact he still has a business at this point and he's still in the game tells you he's pretty good at what he does. Now, here's the catch. He's done a little bit better than staying in the game. Last year alone, he put up 370%, and he's, I wouldn't say he's going to repeat that this year, but he's starting off with a pretty dang good jump this year so far, too. And... Um, Josh's research is some of what we've relied on. Um, I think he's extraordinarily thorough. I think he looks at all sides of it and does not rely on anecdotal nonsense coming out of CNBC. He's meeting with people in the industry. He's based out of Houston. That's one of the reasons he, that's the other thing that, 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 you know, if you want, there's not one thing. If you want to know who actually knows what they're talking about and who doesn't, um, one of the things that attracted me to his research is he didn't grow up there, but he decided he wanted to specialize in energy. So he moved to Houston, right, which is essentially the energy capital of the United States. And, uh, you know, that shows you the focus and the dedication. He's did his, and, and that's something I don't think most people realize about investments. That's what you do for a job. Yeah, you do it for a job, but it's also a lifestyle. You got to be committed to it. Um, and he really is. And like I said, on top of that, the cherry on top is that. You know, he's got the performance to back it up. The guy's been an absolute all-star. You can find interviews he's done with Bloomberg, CNBC, you name it. He's been all over the place, and, and his performance is a big reason why. So extremely excited and pleased to have him. It's a conversation I've been wanting to have for a while, and we were able to make it work this week. Um, and so uh, I think that's going to be incredibly valuable, and I, I think we're lucky to have him, and I hope you guys really enjoy it. So um, now a lot has happened this week. So so. One of the things we're doing during this focus, this, this, this dialing in on, on commodities, is I told you we weren't going to have as much normal stuff in the shows. We're going to get right to it, focus more on the interviews. But there has been a lot of stuff that happened this week. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what I was telling the, the people on KTTH. Um, you know, we want to be as transparent as we possibly can be without stepping on any you know, regulatory issues or anything like that. Um, and I share the wins with you, but I'll share, I'll share some of the hits. You know, our value fund was up 7% on Monday. We're only up about 2% on the year. We took a hit for about five, five and a half, six percent or so, um, on the week. And, uh, here's the thing. Our two biggest positions have been long energy and short tech. Um, you look at this week, energy prices are one of the only things that have really hung in there. Oil is essentially flat on the week yet. Energy companies have gotten hammered, especially in the last two days. Um, in our opinion, guys, this is kind of what we've been warning people about and just saying, look, if, if you're going to hang in there and you're going to invest in commodities, I put out a tweet today saying as much, this is normal, right? It's frustrating where you're sitting there watching the price of oil stay stable. You know that the companies, you know, as for us, we know that the companies we own at a hundred dollar oil, <laughs> they're going to be cranking out ridiculous amounts of profit at $70 oil. They are, but remember this is a market that we've been saying for a long time is completely disconnected for reality. And I don't, I don't think that most people listening to this show or most, most people that are market spectators or watch at any level um, with, any, with any type of knowledge or experience, I don't think anybody would argue that. I, I've often referred to this as the stupidest market of all time. What I mean by that is not that it does things that I disagree with. 
What I mean by that is that I have never seen a market where more anecdotal information is accepted as fact and more people invest solely on a recommendation from a, somebody on TV or blindly following somebody other into a trade or just trading a chart and not even paying attention to fundamentals. Okay, so one of, one of, the, one of the traps you can fall into as an investor is look, you know, when things go against you, you know, sitting there saying, oh, the market's wrong or they got this wrong or whatever. And, and, and then paying attention too much to price movements and, and you know, getting from when you go into especially sectors focused trades like this that you believe in, that you believe the fundamentals are backing you, you, you have to be again, it's an irrational market. Don't expect it to get rational the moment you take your position. Right. That's not the way things work. It's going to stay irrational. Now, I think the solace you can take as an investor, and you can, you, can, you can apply this same logic to just value as a whole. You can certainly apply it to commodities. Remember at the end of last year where oil was getting smoked and we told you to disregard it, right? Oil at that point had peaked at like 83 bucks. It got smoked by 26% in two weeks. Everybody, oh, here it goes. It's big. We said, nope, nope, nope. Don't listen to that. Stick to the fundamentals. What did we hit? 130 this year? 138? Okay, then we pull back. If you look at it, that's the way commodity markets move. And until you see that trend or the fundamental drivers evaporate that are creating those moves, you just got to have it. You can't have a glass jaw, man. You got to send it. You got to step in there. You got to know what you own and you got to have conviction. And like I said, you got to be immune to short term pain. I don't like, well, you know, clients. Well, you know, we're down, you know, down 5%. How does that not bother you? It does. Nobody likes to be down. Right, but it's but, but you have to know. Do do I think we actually lost five percent this week? No, and we didn't. As you know, overall, I think we we're down like two two and a quarter, but just the value fund was down five. Still, still solidly positive on the year. Um, is it fun? No, nobody wants to see red numbers. It's not fun, but you got to know that this is what's going on. It's not going to be smooth. It's not going to be fun all the time. And like I said, when you've got a market. With Tesla, you know, being the best per- performer, you can't expect it to be rational. And I'm not saying they're a bad company. You guys know my read on that. I'm just saying that the fundamentals are just ridiculous. It makes, you know, you have to believe a fairy tale to believe those valuations. And when you see so many people willing to believe the fairy tale, don't expect everything to run rationally. It's not going to. And if you just respond to price movements, you're going to get shaken out and you're going to get shaken out of the best positions. So, and that's one of the reasons we like to hedge. It takes some of the pain out. We're hedged today. We've been hedged the majority of the week. It hasn't stopped all the pain. But again, irrational price movements happen. That's part of it. And that's why you got to know what you own. We talk about it all the time, knowing what you own. What gives me conviction to go back in there and buy things when they're getting beat up as opposed to panicking and selling them? It's knowing the fundamentals, knowing the cash flow, right? Oil, hey, maybe oil drops 75, 80 bucks a barrel. Will we panic sell then? Nope. Why? Go run the numbers on these things. Go find me other companies that will be throwing off as much free cash flow as these things will. Now, could that fundamental outlook on these, these commodity companies and the energy companies tr- change? Absolutely. And if it does, right, when the facts change, so does our opinion. And so does the portfolio, as a matter of fact. But until I see a fundamental driver change, um, you know, and, and for that matter, you start talking about the downside to oil outside of a giant economic collapse, you know, and we'll let Josh talk about this in the interview, but we talk about, you know, what you're afraid of oil going back to 60 a barrel. If it does, it's going to be very short lived and transitory. Why guys, there just isn't a lot of, there just isn't a lot of 50 to $60 oil left out there, right? It's deeper. It's more expensive. Labor costs have gone all the input costs to drill oil wells, steel, labor, all these different, they've all gone way up, right? So I think what the market is struggling with, you know, and, and here's the funny thing about it. Everybody's, well, if we have a recession, oil's going to go down. Guys, stop and look at this whole cycle. And more importantly, let's look at the last three years. We just came out of a pandemic that resulted in the greatest single quarter economic shock to the U.S. economy in history. And stocks rallied to record highs. Why is it so hard for people to believe that you could potentially have a recession and a Fed tightening cycle and commodities going higher? Right? It is different this time. Now, the outcome won't be different in terms of, I think, the things that are the most undervalued that people don't want will, will change. Um, 
what was a stock I saw the other day? Uh, in the last six months, Salesforce is down like 25% or something like that. Exxon Mobil's up like 150. Okay. People are like, who would have thought that? Well, me, right? Cause mean reversion happens, right? Things, things move and go and it's site, you know, and whatever ends up getting killed comes back stronger and whatever's been the horse that everybody's riding ends up getting smoked. But to get to a conversation I was having today is, or excuse me, yesterday, I was asked by a potential client, well, they're going to become a client. And they said, boy, you've been right on, you know, Zach, how did you know? And I go, listen, please don't be too impressed. This was not a Nostradamus call in terms of a pivot to commodities and getting out of tech. Guys, this is just what happens. And I've been trying to explain this. We weren't predicting that these tech stocks were going to get hit. What we were telling you is that when interest rates go up, multiples have to come down. And that's what frustrates me. One of the things that frustrates me about this industry is I've had other advisors through their clients sit there and go, nobody can time markets. Well, that is true. But, but there are rules to this game, right? It was referencing one of my favorite movies, The Big Lebowski. This isn't NOM, man. There are rules here. Okay, when the discount rate goes up, typically valuations come down. And what stocks are going to be impacted the most by that? Stocks with the highest valuations. I mean, it really is that simple. Now, it doesn't happen on a one-for-one basis. It's never neat, right? You don't see interest rates go up 10, 10 basis points and tech stocks fall by 10 basis points. But go look at the action. And, and that's what I'm saying is that, yes, nobody can time everything perfectly, right? Nobody can sit there and tell you this is going to, you know, this is going to happen. And I know what, nobody knows what's going to happen in the future. But again, going back to this being the dumbest market of all time, I don't know why this is catching people off guard. And, and I'll go back. Go check your portfolios. Not only are you getting wrecked, what's, what's NASDAQ down? 17, 18% year to date? Okay, not only are you getting hammered on the stock side, go look at your bonds. Be like, oh, that's a great call. It wasn't a call, guys. It's math. It's like saying two plus three is five. How did you know? And, and, and it goes into a co- another conversation I was having with an existing client yesterday, which was, you know, similar things are like, you know, Zach, we were talking about the interest rate. I buy it, you know, but how, you know, how did you know what tipped you off? And, and I go, nothing, but we're just paying attention. And, and if you've been listening to the radio show, we've been telling you this, right? Look what happened to Netflix. Netflix gets taken out and just rocked the other day, right? 37%. Um, it is now down about 65% from its high. I, again, I wish who would have known? Well, I, I, you know, I don't think we ever talked about it specifically, but we've never owned it. Um, and it's made a lot of people a lot of money, but this is what happens guys. When things get too far, when they get too stretched, when they get too outside of a proper valuation, it's only a matter of time. It's just, it's a bubble looking for a, a, a bubble looking for a pin. Um, and I think you're going to keep seeing it. I keep seeing people hanging on to their Tesla. The reason they're hanging on to their Tesla is because it hasn't gotten slaughtered yet. It's down 15% year to date. But look, if you've still got big profits in this stuff, guys, I would encourage you. You don't have to, you don't have to dump them all. But, you know, unless you think all the problems facing the world are going to be gone tomorrow and inflation is going to be over in two months, which I hear people on the, uh, on, the, on, the, on the TV saying, just like those people weren't telling you to get out of tech and get out of bonds and switch into commodities, they're not going to give you this warning. Okay? Unless you just think inflation's going away, which it's not. You're not going to, well, inflation's going to peak. Everybody's talking about peak and inflation. Look, you're going to see inflation ebb and flow. We've been saying that since really for the last year when it started. That's what inflation does. Okay, but I don't think people are waking up to the fact that prices structurally are moving higher. Right? Oil is a great example. Not only do you have a supply problem, but all of the input costs to drill an oil well are going higher. Labor costs are going higher. The world needs to get its head around that. And as long as you see this fragmenting or this pulling apart of, of the, you know, the, the globalization, right? The, the, everybody outsourcing their manufacturing to China, right? Remember the reasons they did that is because outsourcing your production, your labor to China and some of these emerging markets, it's cheaper. 
So when you repatriate that production back on shore, your structural costs are going higher. And that's not a short-term thing. And I think you're going to see higher than normal, stru- higher structural, structurally higher prices in energy for all the reasons that we've been talking about for a long time. I think you're going to see it in metals. I think you're going to see it in timber. I, what you're not going to see it is in tech. And, and like we were talking about last week, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right? When you got to worry about paying the power bill and you got to worry about trying to fill your car up with gas and you got to be re, re, you know, dealing with skyrocketing. I mean, look at Netflix, perfect example. Everybody was treating these subscription-based services like Netflix and specifically you know, the SaaS companies, software as a service, as these undefeatable business models. We said all along, hey, as soon as inflation hits, you'll see people start dropping off and, 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 and recouping that money in other places. They'll start cutting their services. They'll start trimming back to one, one or two streaming options rather than five. It's what people do. It's human behavior. Got to tighten the belt. And, 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 when, 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 and, and here's a tip. Whenever valuations are justified by those, oh, business never stop. This is a trend. You can't get in the way of this trend. Be very suspicious of that. right? Because when, when people act like they've found a sector or a stock or a series of stocks that are immune to economic reality, that's a really good tip that they're extraordinarily overpriced. And now I think people are starting to figure out that there is no real bottom, right? Let's go look at Kathy Wood. Ark, again, not trying, to, not trying to pile on. But, you know, she came out in a statement that I thought was extraordinarily foolish um, and ex- really inexplicably foolish. Shocking from someone of her age that's been in the business this long. But she came out about what is a month and a month, what was about two months ago and said, I think it was when their fund ARKK hit like 64. That the, that's the bottom. The bottom's in. Well, today it's at 52. Okay, so for people at home, what is that? That's another 25% drawdown from there. Um, and then the further it goes down, you hear her saying, well, that just increases our forward expected returns. Guys, investing doesn't work like that. She's got zeros in that fund. Okay, that works for the S&P 500. The lower the S&P 500 is going to you know, go, typically, the bigger the bounce you'll get into the future. But that's not the way this game works. Things can and do go to zero. And if you don't think that they can, I got some waterfront property in Arizona to sell you. So out of that, now, again, on the commodity side, I just think, um, you know, there are some things, you know, what we see going on in China, we mentioned this a few weeks ago about, I, don't, I didn't think that, I thought there was a really strong possibility that these aren't COVID lockdowns, that these are, these are commodity lockdowns. They may be a mix of both. I'm starting to really lean toward the commodity lockdown thing, um, meaning this is really becoming an acute problem. And it's getting worse. And the trend is worse. And um, there's just not enough to go out there. And, and if you get that short-term weakness in oil, the further oil goes down, the worse the problem gets down the road. So I, I don't want to speak to too much on the energy side of it, um, just because we've got a great interview coming up with, with Josh Young, and he's going to fill us in. Um, but, you know, we'll talk about some other ones. Car- guys, again, we've been talking about this for a year and a half. Carvana getting destroyed. Right? It's just one after another. They keep getting slaughtered. And everybody's like, what's wrong? You know, the companies are still growing. The valuations don't make any sense. And when that discount rate, when rates start climbing, they're going to get killed. And you cannot touch those kinds of things until you think that this pain is over and that inflation has subsided and interest rates aren't going any higher. And you're going to see ebbs and flows. You're going to see bounce back weeks, bounce back months. But this is really a period of time. I firmly believe it. This is a period of time where you still got to look at charts. You still got to watch technical analysis, but you must know what you own. Fundamental investing is back with a vengeance. The only thing that can give you the courage, right, or, or, the, or the, the gravitas or, or the discipline, whatever, to hold in there is when you know what you own. Why am I not panicking about these oil stocks getting hit? Because I know what they're going to produce in cash flow. I mean, is it fun watching them oscillate and dip 15%? No, it's not. But that's where you've got it. You know, that's where the money's made. And, and I think a great lesson for that, I want you to listen in this interview that we have with Josh Young. You know, can you imagine what he's had to put up with the last seven years? And then you go look at his performance and now you add it all up and he's destroyed the market, just destroyed it. But you got to go through pain to do that. 
It's like anything else in life. You want a six pack, it's going to, you're, you're going to have to work out, right? You want to be thin. You got to, you, you know, it's not fun dieting, but we go through it. You want a good marriage. You got to humble yourself. You got to go to therapy. You got to do the work. Same is true in investing. And if you found an easy path to riches, enjoy it while it lasts. Reminds me of that old you know, Wall Street movie, the original one. You know, Bud Fox is sitting there talking to the old grizzly veteran on the trading floor. And he goes, Bud, you've been hot lately. Yeah, well, enjoy it while it lasts, Bud, because it never does. Right? The runs don't anyway. And that's why you, that's why the guys, that's why I say, am I biased? Yeah, we're, we're, we're active managers. So I am biased. I admit it. But, but the era of just riding the indexes to higher rich, to, to, to wealth and riches, that's on hold. And I think it's going to be on hold for a while. You are back to a fundamentally driven market. And if you don't have an active manager, I'd su- suggest getting one because the typical mutual funds, typical ETFs are all loaded up in the house of pain trade. They are lower interest rate trades, period. And if inflation is here to stay and you think it is and you think it's going to go higher and rates are going to go up, you need to pivot. Or you're going to get killed if you haven't already. Many of you are probably sitting on pretty nasty years. Our average client is still up. Not up as much as they were earlier in the week. But, you know, those are the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Like I said, you got to have that stiff upper lip and be able to take some punches. So anyway, um, without further ado, guys, want to get into this interview. And I want you to listen to it. I want you to listen to it not just because he's had good performance, which he has. I don't know of anybody out there that's beat him, um, especially over the last couple of years. But the other reason why I want you to listen to it is because of the depth of the research. I want you to really understand the problems we're looking at and the setups in the world today that back what it is that we're saying. And why we don't just think it's a good investment. We also think it's a safe investment, meaning, you know, how do we shield ourselves from inflation? One of the only ways to do it is own the things that are going up in price. Right. And if that kind of thought, if those conversations you're not having with your current advisor or many manager, whoever's looking over your funds, you still have time to correct it. We're still not off highs. And maybe it's not through us. Maybe it's through somebody else. It's entirely possible. Right? But what I would tell you is there's a better way. We have safer investments that bonds that have been making two to three times as much and that aren't down 15% over the last 12 months and dropping like a rock. You need exposure to the commodities. You need exposure to natural resources. You also need to be able to have defensive measures put in place to hedge because this is what we see, but we live in a crazy world, right? Disaster could strike at any minute. I'm not saying it's going to. I'm just saying this is a risk management world. If these conversations aren't being had with your advisor, give us a call. 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, bulwarkcapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. And there's a better way. Lower your fees, drastically reduce your risk, and increase your upside potential. We're not talking about putting money under the mattress. We're not trying to pitch all, put all your money in physical gold. Okay? You can make money in markets like these. You don't just have to sit here and take it. And more importantly, you don't have to risk your long-term retirement. So anyway, we've got to take a quick break. Stick with us. We'll be right back, and we're going to get right into our interview, interview with Josh Young. You guys have heard my thoughts on energy enough. I want you to hear what he has to say. A guy that has killed it, thrown up monster returns, and uh, you can get it straight from the horse's mouth. And more importantly, it's not anecdotal. We're going to get right into the state of the economy, the state of the energy industry, and why Josh thinks that the good times as far as energy investing have just gotten started. So stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Do better in bull markets. Do better in bear markets. Pay less fees in all markets. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. You can subscribe to Zach's free newsletter, The Bulwark Insider Report, at knowyourriskradio.com. Are your finances and investments well positioned for a successful retirement? Join me at Zach Abraham's free live webinar Thursday, April 28th at 3. Zach, what will we learn? Dory, the core of our investment and retirement planning process is protecting portfolios against major losses while still growing assets. In our live webinar, I'll explain how we do it and answer some big questions like, do I have enough to retire? When should I take Social Security? Do I need estate planning or long-term care? And why are investment strategies like the basic 60-40 stock bond portfolio outdated and a risk in today's inflationary environment? Learn how our risk management strategy can protect your retirement. 
Zach Abraham's free live webinar is 3 p.m. Thursday, April 28th. Space is limited, so reserve now at knowyourriskradio.com. That's knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice can't be given without client service agreement. Bulwer Capital Management's an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, this is a my well. This is time for my favorite part of the show. And um, it could it couldn't be more timely in my opinion. We've been doing the special on commodities, and we've dedicated about the well about six weeks total. So another four weeks. This being one of them. And um, I, I've this guy has been making the rounds for all the right reasons. Um, He's had some excellent calls, excellent returns, and he's been all over this commodity story, specifically energy. Uh, you, you may have seen him on Bloomberg. He's been all over the place. Um, and I'll let him tell you why, because I think, uh, I think it deserves a little bit of pomp and circumstance because he's had some excellent calls and excellent performance. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Josh Young of Bison Interests to the show. Josh, I can't tell you how excited I am to have you, and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks a lot for having me, Zach. So why don't you give us a little bit of your background? Um, I know you started the firm uh, a few years back. Well, a little more than a few years now. Um, kind of just, I, I always like to set it up uh, and explain the story of how you got to where you were professionally. And then what, what precipitated, right? What, what, was the, what, was the, what was the thing that uh, uh, got you to, to, to start the firm, Bison Interest, that you're running today, which is a hedge fund focused in energy? Um, and, and kind of give us that setup and, and tell us the story. Tell us why we're talking to you today. Yeah. So, I mean, there's kind of the long story, which I'll skip. And there's the short story, which is studied economics at the University of Chicago, did management consulting out of school, private equity, worked for a family office, tried to run my own hedge fund for a little while uh, after the financial crisis and mostly ended up doing one-off investments with family offices and other energy investors, mostly in the public equity space with a sort of special situation, uh, event-driven focus, and ended up uh, partnering with a gentleman who actually we're not partnered anymore, but we worked together on Bison and launched it together in 2015 after the initial oil price crash, with the idea being that there was an opportunity to build a portfolio of the sort of special situation investments that I've been doing that had been mostly successful up until the crash in 2014. And with the idea of it being a little bit more sustainable, and we named it after the bison, which is the only animal that faces into the storm. And so it gets through it safer and faster while the other animals turn tail and run. And so the idea was to embrace volatility, understand that it's a tumultuous time, accept that we would be up and down potentially big, uh, with the vision to hold valuable assets run by good people with the ability to extract extra value beyond kind of what people typically expect from investments over a multi-year period. And then you guys started that, that was 2015, right, Josh? That's right. Okay. Okay. And so that was, I want to get into what has occurred over the last two years, because as a guy that runs a fund, um, actively, um, you've put up some numbers that I have never touched and we both know how difficult when I look at your performance numbers from last year, what it shows me and the thing I think about is patience and difficulty because you and I both know putting up numbers like that. It's not just that year, right? It was the things leading up. It was dealing with clients, probably going, are you out of your mind? And, and like you said, you guys pointed into the storm. I, I actually didn't know that about bison, but I know for a fact that that's part of what got you there. But what what was it like trying to do this? I, I, I imagine running a fund like that from 2015 to 2020 wasn't either easy either, right? Nobody was interested in that kind of stuff. Everybody was tech, Tesla. So what were what was that five year run like? So I would say people are still not interested in this stuff. So yeah. basically. Um, I mean, it was very difficult, partly because there was an energy private equity bubble going on then. And so everyone wanted to invest in energy and they wanted to put it into private equity funds who had been putting up great numbers. And as a value investor, this was very unexciting to me because there was lots of money coming in, all competing on certain assets. And some of those funds did well because they were able to flip assets into other 
companies at huge valuations, uh, subsequently, in many cases, tanking those other companies that way overpaid. Um, and there were a few discoveries of fields that private equity was better at extracting than public. Um, and so there were a few kind of numbers that were kind of real in all of that boom and then subsequent bust. Um, and uh, so we were in a asset class that was out of favor and a sector that was out of favor um, with a methodology, which is sort of value plus catalyst investing, which was deeply out of favor and became more and more out of favor over time. And, you know, there just wasn't, there hasn't been a respite. Like it's just gotten harder and, um, you know, independent of up or down years, like this is not, it's, it's like a massive pain trade mm. and the pain isn't over yet, which is exciting to me because it means I think there's still tremendous opportunity. Um, but it's also, I mean, the same people that have hated it or not wanted it or refused to allocate to it in 2015 have similar objections in 2022 versus, uh, what they had in 2015, 2016. I mean, they, they like will say different things, but really what they mean is they don't like actively managed public equities. They don't see the ability to outperform, even with evidence of it over a multi-year period. They don't see, they don't believe in the ability for an investor to outperform. They, they believe in the ability for investors on the private market to charge them immense fees and to somehow outperform but they don't believe in the ability for someone to just do well in the public market through a disciplined process. And uh, they don't believe in oil and gas and they don't believe in actively managed public equity. So there's really kind of this whole set of things that haven't changed. And from my perspective, that indicates tremendous opportunity still. No, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, um, I, you and I have not spoken before. We've got a lot of, uh, a lot of common acquaintances and friends. Um, but it's interesting the way you describe your style, because that's very much how we run our value slash non-constrained fund, which is a, a focus on value, uh, with a catalyst, right? Um, and I think the way you speak about that in general, and then about the energy markets in particular, I, I couldn't echo those sentiments enough. It, it has been extraordinarily tough. Uh, it's from, from, especially from 2015 to 2020, you know, almost like you could win on the economic side of it. You could win on the financial side of it and, and the securities wouldn't even respond, or maybe they might even go lower. Um, so I think, I think all of us in that category probably deserve a pat on the back just for surviving it. Um, so let's, let's move a little bit more now into the crisis. So how were you guys positioned? And, and, and this is kind of a, I want to tell the story just because, I, let's face it, you know, most investors will never put up those kind of numbers in a year. So I, I want the listeners to hear it, but I also want to hear the story too. Like I said, I've never thrown up those kind of numbers in a year. So how were you guys positioned going into COVID? And then how did you capitalize? Kind of run me through the story, you know, starting in January in 2020 and, and how you were seeing the world, how you responded, how you, you know, how you were set up going into it and how you capitalized. Yeah, and, and just to be clear, I'm not offering uh, securities or, or to you know allow people to invest into Bison. It's a private partnership, and I'm going to avoid speaking to specifics about the performance. It's possible to find stuff. People leaked our letters and fact sheets and stuff um, for various reasons, good and bad. Um, and so you know it's possible to find this. So I won't I won't get into too much specifics uh, yeah. around the actual returns, obviously. But from a positioning perspective. The, the thought around COVID was that we, we saw this test um, of what COVID does to an elderly population, which is these cruise ships in January of 2020. And we heard these horror stories about what was happening in China. And our take was that the Chinese information was wrong, which is what we were right about, and that COVID would have a low mortality rate, which we were right about. Um, and we were just wrong that the whole world decided to freak out and shut down. And so we were not positioned for that. We are a long-only strategy. And so we're set up as an investment partnership with a kind of a concentrated portfolio and longer-term horizon. So in that way, it's, I guess, more of like a Buffett-style partnership than um, than a typical hedge fund. And so we're really not set up to go short stocks against our exposure. Um, we could have built more cash. We did build a little um, going into that. And obviously that turned out to be a mistake. And you know, it was something where we, we suffered a very large drawdown um, from the start of 2020 to, I guess, the peak in uh, early April. 
Okay. Okay. Now, I, and I certainly don't want to get into regulatory trouble. I can speak about your performance, can't I? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So for the listeners at home, and without putting them out, when we say you had a good year, we're talking over 350%. Okay. So he won't say it because he's a humble guy and he doesn't want to get in trouble, but I will. And, um, and, and like I echoed before, I, you know, so many times, you know, this is not the Kathy Woods and again, not taking a shot at Kathy Wood. And I'm speaking to the listeners now. We're not having him on because he put up good numbers. That happens to we're having him on because of what he was invested in and the pain that I know that he went through the consternation, probably the sleepless nights and more importantly, the discipline it it took to stick with that trade. And um, all too often, people do not understand that that is how you make big outperforming years. So there must have been a point. um, And, and, you know, I look back on it when oil went negative um, we started, uh, you know, slapping on exposure. Um, and the big mistake we made was not putting on enough. Um, is, what, what got you to deploy that cash? Did you reap I'm assuming going into it because, you know, you mentioned the large, large drawdown, you were pretty much concentrated in energy at that point, or were you energy, all, all energy going into it? Yeah. All energy going into it, all energy coming out of it. We did actually reposition, um, because we didn't expect the lockdowns. There was, a real concern that the lockdowns would last. I mean, they are, they ended up lasting way too long. It was very uneconomic. It was very bad for public health. And um, we just didn't know how long they would last. So we actually sold a little bit of stuff at very low prices to go buy tanker stocks. And that did not work. I mean, it did work in the sense that we owned enough of those that if lockdowns lasted, the first set of hard lockdowns, if they lasted six months instead of two, we were going to be okay. And the job was to just not lose all of the money to be there in the end for an oil recovery. And then we were able to sell the tanker exposure as reopening started and redeploy it, having lost a little on the trade, but having essentially, I think, protected from that sort of potential zero outcome. And then from the portfolio perspective, we were very careful about what exposure we had because we're always very careful about what exposure we have in terms of not owning companies that have an easy path to bankruptcy and often owning stocks in companies where the management teams own a lot and where they're very aligned in terms of not doing the easy thing of in a downturn filing for bankruptcy and then getting the five or 10% management ownership on a post reorg sort of equity. And so um, that helped us a lot, not having zeros along the way. And then, um, yeah, I think I think that's probably the, the best kind of way to describe. And yeah, I mean, it's really tough. I mean, there were days and weeks and months where it was I mean, it was as bad as it gets, but they weren't zeros. And we knew the companies and the teams really well. We knew the assets. And it was it was just a question of time in terms of what would rewrite things and when and um you know, I guess here we are a couple of years later and some of that's happened. So what what have you seen now? Now, taking a step back and looking at <clears throat> the energy industry in particular uh, and then and then kind of focusing in on oil. Um, what is what do you think if we were going to write a narrative or a story about what has happened to that industry since 2014? Um, what, what would that story be in terms of? Obviously, I don't think there's been a lot of capital flowing into that space outside of private equity, like you mentioned. Um, but but where are we at in terms of I, I think one of the things that surprises people is that and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I, I know enough to be dangerous. I, I've been around commodity investing. I have not. You know, you're one of the guys I follow because, you know, the sector so much better and with a deeper, you know, and, and wider breadth of knowledge than I do. Um how would you describe that sector right now? And, and then also since you've been in it, I mean, obviously it's been tough. Um, it's been a lot better recently. Um, but you know, do we have an oil boom on our hands? What, what is the, what is the number one thing when you're looking at this sector right now in this entire industry, where, what do you see as the state of oil production in the world? Where are we headed is, you know, for those out there that say high prices, fix high prices. And they're like, oil's just going to go back down to 50 bucks. Um, what is different about this cycle? What do you see as the state of the industry? And, and where are we at in terms of wh- where you think the future is going? And, and what I'm talking about is, you know, production levels. Can they meet demand? Kind of give us the state of the union, if you will. 
That's that's a great question. And I think so starting the, the thesis with Bison starting in 2015 was that prices for some of these stocks were down, let's say, 80 percent from their 2014 highs. And the average mid cap might have been down 30 to 50 percent. The average small cap might have been down, let's say, 50 to 80 percent. Some of the companies were impaired and just going to zero. And the thought was that we'd go and buy companies at, you know, two to four times EBITDA at, and typically it was like four times at the time, um, and we'd buy them at four times EBITDA at like $50 oil and with some financial leverage, so typically two times debt to cash flow and two times uh, price to cash flow, um, we'd own them, uh, preferably companies that were strong enough to survive a potentially longer downturn and that over time they would re-rate. And we didn't need multiple expansion back to the eight times that they all used to trade at at higher oil prices in the peak in 2014. We just needed them to stay at four times and have oil recover and have them grow a little bit of value. And the problem is that those small caps in between then and now traded down to, in many cases, we own things today, even after the recent rally, at two to three times cash flow. And you know, maybe four times free cash flow, sometimes three times free cash flow. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's been this multiple compression and that's driven, I think, mostly by outflows from the industry, regardless of profits by the businesses. And then there was this cyclical downturn, which is that there was too much investment in oil from, let's say, uh, 2003 to 2012. So that essentially 10 year period set up for a downturn and we experienced that cyclical downturn. But in addition, we also saw a couple of big discoveries and technology improvements, mostly in shale, along with a little bit of Iraq coming back online and Russian production proving more sustainable than people expected. And so you kind of had this cyclical downturn along with um, an additional kind of oil boom and bust going on concurrently. And I think the combination of those followed by a pandemic really were enough to knock the industry off from its prior trajectory from production um, to the point where here we are at much higher prices and the trajectory isn't even really to grow world production much, if at all, right now. So you need way more stuff just to get world production on a growth trajectory, even today with all the rigs that have been added in the last six months or year, even with all the offshore stuff and various countries bringing on stuff. And so there's really this supply constrained world that's very different from where it's been for a long time. And then just to add one thing to that, OPEC was always this big wild card. And there was this misconception that OPEC would be there no matter what. And what we what we understood starting Bison was, hey, there is a bunch of buffer here and that buffer is going to narrow as these countries, uh, Saudi had um, ramped their drilling rig activity in 2014 as a part of the oil price war uh, that helped knock prices down a lot and started or was, I guess, the catalyst for the cyclical downturn that in retrospect was coming from the oil investment boom. And the, the thought always was that OPEC would eventually run out of spare capacity given the trajectory of the industry. And with COVID, along with, um, with the longevity of the cyclical downturn, there was enough capacity destruction and underinvestment in capacity by OPEC and OPEC Plus that we would essentially run out of spare capacity and get into a situation similar to the 1970s where there would be a forced re-rate up in the back end of the curve for oil that would re-rate equities dramatically. So there was this shorter term thesis of, hey, let's own things at four times EBITDA that grow a lot, that create a lot of value. And then there was this longer term thesis of, hey, we think that prices will reset higher structurally into this next up cycle. And so we want to have exposure to these cheap things that are in, intrinsically valuable, that have their own kind of internal catalysts for various reasons and various kinds of catalysts. And we want that exposure if that bleeds into this sort of longer up cycle. That's great because we can catch this. We can benefit from however long this downturn lasts by probably an equivalent amount of time of an up cycle. And so I think we're in the early stages of that up cycle. Okay. Well, okay. So switching gears just a little bit here, not much, just a little bit. Um, 
I don't need to tell you this. You know this. The impression out there, especially in the mainstream media, financial media, is that the surge in oil is a byproduct of inflation, which is transitory, of course. Uh, And then you've got the uh, Ukraine-Russia disruption. And as soon as inflation peaks and the Ukraine-Russia situation, you know, dissolves and and, and unwinds, uh, it'll be back to normal. We'll be looking at 50 to $65 oil, right? That's the narrative. Um, That's the story that everybody's, you know, for the most part, everybody's parroting. Um, let, let's start right there. I, I know your thoughts, but I'd like to hear, I'd like the listeners to hear what, what is your problem with that thesis? So there aren't any more incremental 50 to $60 barrels of oil in the world. So there's enough at that price for oil production to decline a little every year, but there's not enough to replace depletion, which happens. So wells, around the world and fields deplete over time. It's the nature of oil fields, right? You have X amount of oil and uh, in, in place when you drill your first well in a field, and as it produces over time, there's less and less essentially in the tank. And so in order to replace that, you need to go drill, you need to explore to find new fields, and then you need to delineate them to figure out how big they are and how to develop them, and then you need to develop them. And so there's been too little exploration since 2012, and there's been too little development for the last several years. And so you have this long cycle problem combined with a short cycle problem that led to a predictable re-rate. And so the people that were on the negative side of that re-rate saw COVID as evidence that they were right. But a left tail event where governments around the world for non-scientific and non-economic reasons shut down the world for some amount of time is not evidence that the nature of oil reservoirs and the nature of the oil business has changed. And this has happened many times before. I think one of the things that got me so comfortable with this is looking through historical news reports and historical analyses about the end of oil during other downturns, as well as looking at what people said when things were good for the oil industry. And so when you look at both of those, um, over enough of these cycles, you start to understand that, I mean, really price drives narrative. And if you can divorce yourself from that and do the math, there's a lot of opportunity, I think, potentially on both sides of that over long cycles. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. Now, do you think, <clears throat> I think one of the things that people struggle with is sitting there going, wait a second, we weren't undersupplied in 2019, right? We, we had an economic shutdown. Oil goes to negative 37 because nobody's using it. How do we go and, and again, this isn't so much for me, but for the edification of the listeners, how do we go from being fine in 2019 to all of a sudden being short oil? So I think we were actually not fine in early 2020. And mm-hmm. without a COVID shutdown, we were getting into the start of a bull market for oil. And that was one of the things that really was hard about the COVID situation for me, in addition, obviously, to the humanitarian thing, and I don't mean to talk down the millions of people who did die during COVID, partly from the disease and partly from bad policy and getting shut down and hospitals not being available and so on. Um, but one of the painful things as an investor was that you had evidence that the super cycle had started. I mean, I kept looking at this JP Morgan report from, I think it was January of 2020 or February of 2020, where they showed this like massive underinvestment and some of the things I'm talking about. And you were already seeing production rolling over. You already saw shale in the US peak from an activity perspective. I think it was in 2018, you saw well productivity starting to fall on oil shale and across the US. And you you just saw the things that you would expect in the next up market uh, for a multi-year period. And so um, I actually, I think, I think that that was contentious and the people that were negative on that felt proven right because oil prices fell. And I mean, it's really fascinating. Again, like I'm very interested in history and many of the people who are very loudly predicting for oil to fall now had some of the same arguments in early 2020 and in prior periods where oil prices pulled back during the prior seven years. And I think it's important to not, um, in the same way as me doing well last year, doesn't mean that I'll necessarily do well for the next three quarters this year um, or at any point in the future. I think it's important to not confuse process and outcome. And, you know, bad analysis can get lucky and be right, 
but it doesn't make it good analysis. And so I think I think it's just not I think I think people didn't understand what was happening then. And there was a sort of very negative bear market mentality. And that was reinforced by the covid downturn. And there's always been a sort of negative story around oil. I mean, frankly, going back as long as I've done it professionally since 2007. And so, um, you know, you can have that negative narrative and have a compelling negative story. And the reality is that as an optimist and an investor over time, you end up being right. And it's just a question of time and a question of being careful in order to survive for an up cycle. And so I guess that's the pushback there. Okay. So, now we got now now and, and I kind of want to take this. I'm sure you're picking up on this, but I, I before we get into your thoughts on where we go from here, I kind of want to take and and some of this is for my own edification too. I kind of want to take each one of these negative stories, right? Each one of these reasons why you know oil has already run its course. Each one of these reasons uh, uh, or narratives or stories uh, of why. All right, guys, we gotta and, well and due to time constraints, we gotta cut the interview off right here. But again, guys, nobody has hit this like Josh has. He's been all over it. He's been some of the guys. He's doing the research that we've been watching. We've been paying attention to. So, A, again, I think this is one of those shows that you should send to your friends and family. I think people need to know about it. It's not getting talked around in the media. Um, and definitely, you want to hear the remainder of this interview. So go to, you can just Google Know Your Risk Radio Podcast. If you like the radio show, guys, sign up for the podcast. It boosts our numbers, helps us get better guests, but also you can listen to it whenever you want. So you're not stuck, oh, I got to be on the radio. You know, I'm not saying people organize their lives for our show, but it makes it easier. Just Google Know Your Risk Radio Podcast. You can find it on iTunes. You can find it anywhere there's podcasts. Just Google it. We're on virtually every podcast site there is out there, Spotify, you name it. Um, anyway, so you guys have a great weekend. And as always, we'll be back next week. Um, and you won't want to miss it. Got another great interview coming up. Until then, have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe to knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.